Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. You may take your seats. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you here. And I see you guys at home, too, so I do. I've got that power. I wish. Well, as you see by the, the uh, banner up there, last week, Pastor Jamie started a, a sermon series out of Ephesians 6 about the armor that is for Christians to wear in our struggle against um, evil forces uh, that want to impose uh, hindrances in our lives so that we don't grow in Christ. So we're going to take a look at that today. This is the, the, the second piece of armor. Last week was the belt of truth, and uh, this one is the breastplate of righteousness. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk about a very important word. It's, all, it's used very rarely in the Bible, uh, but it's one of the most important words in the Bible. Um, all the world religions, except for Judaism, don't even use this word, don't even acknowledge the idea. It's, it's a, an idea completely rejected uh, by Islam and and uh, by Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. It doesn't show up anywhere in Buddhism or Hinduism. It's only in the Christian faith that we see this word worked out to the blessing and benefit of those who receive it. So let's pray uh, about that word. That word, by the way, is imputation. Now, I know it doesn't sound exciting, right? I mean, how many people sit around the dinner table talking about, excitedly talking about imputation or maybe discuss it in the hallways? But I want to tell you, without that doctrine in the Bible, no one can be saved. No one would be here today. There would be no church of Jesus Christ. And without the achievements of that imputation, we stand alone in front of God's holiness. So a simple definition is just that imputation is something that's credited to us or ascribing something to us that we don't have. You know, if you get your bank statement and you see a little bit of like interest that's accrued in your account, like I just saw we accrued three cents in our account last month. I tell you, I was, I was praising God. Because it was imputed to us. I didn't earn it. Well, I suppose I did. I gave them my money. But it was given to us. And our text, believe it or not, is just eight words long. So let's pray and ask God to help us to focus and give our attention to this subject this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word, but more about what it means about our salvation, and we pray that you will help us to be focused, not distracted, so that we can uh, take in and savor and call this word precious in our lives, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? All right, so this, this is Ephesians 6, verse 14. It's just eight words, and it says this. Stand. Now, that's the main command. We are to stand. Stand. And how are we to stand? And here it is. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. These are just eight words. This is the second piece of armor. But eight words, eight words can change your life forever. 
So if we are given spiritual armor, it must be because there is a need for it. And Christianity is all about engaging in spiritual battle. Indeed, we are in a battle. Because we live in a fallen world, the the world is engaged in a battle against God and against us. Now, this battlefield uh, isn't with flesh and blood like Paul talked about. For the most part, it's fought in our souls. And you know that this fight is very serious business. Just reflect on your own life. How easy is it for you to be distracted from prayer or from studying the Bible or from going to church? Look, 30 inches of snow shouldn't keep us away if we're really Christians. I'm serious. Well, it's easy to be distracted. Uh, How about um, loving someone when it's just not convenient? It's such a serious business, in fact, that Paul tells us earlier in in, uh, this chapter what we're up against. He says this in verse 12. It's the prince of the power of the air against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This sounds like a cosmic mafia. And they want to mess up our lives, and they want to keep us separate from the love of God. So, what's the defense? The defense is the breastplate of righteousness that's given to us. So what we're going to look at here is just three questions. Why do we need it? How do we get it? What do we do with it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? What do we do with it? So let's look at first, why do we need it? To know the reason for imputation and why we need it, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of creation and the failure of Adam who disobeyed God's command not to eat the uh, uh, forbidden fruit. Romans 5, verse 12, explains what happened at that point. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, when Adam ate that forbidden fruit, he did more than just disobey God for himself alone. Sin had been absent in the, in the creation up to that point, and the moment that Adam disobeyed, sin became, came flooding into the world for the very first time, and like a, a deadly disease, it spread everywhere and to all human beings ever since. You just skip over one more chapter to Genesis 4, and you see the very first murder after Adam and Eve were expelled from creation, Cain killing his brother Abel. Now, if you grew up in the church, uh, you probably heard about original sin like I did. If you didn't grow up in the church, this is going to come as a shock to you, so hang on. When I was growing up and going to catechism class, I was told that I was guilty of Adam's original sin. And I really rebelled against that. I did not like that assumption. In fact, I wanted to know how I could be guilty of Adam's sin. Adam is the one who disobeyed. I wasn't even there when it happened. It seemed unfair. I wanted to know how could God justify calling me a sinner and placing me under the sentence of death? Well, there's two things we need to think about about this teaching. First of all, it's probably better to call original sin inherited corruption. So we inherit from Adam, our first earthly father, his nature which was totally corrupted by sin. That's the essence of what Paul said in Romans 5, verse 12. Another way to say this is that each one of us has an Adam inside us at work. And I remember talking to a a guy about his marriage um, 
uh, we, we were doing a lot of coaching uh, marriages, and you know, he it, like most couples, they, they come in, and and typically the guy says, you know, if she would just change, you know, everything would be fine. That'd be great. We'd have a great marriage. So I looked at her and I said, hey, don't go all Adam on your wife. Calm down. Because that's what Adam did. We have an Adam inside of us. Through Adam's one act of disobedience, sin entered into the world, and it threw out the welcome mat for death to come in to every person born ever since that first couple. And that's why we see in the scriptures from in Genesis uh, forward, we see so-and-so lived for so many years and died. Everybody dies. Nobody gets out of life uh, alive. Now, the second thing to consider about this very carefully, if we don't accept the teaching of inherited corruption, we will not, if we're consistent, we will not want to, to accept the teaching of God's solution for the problem either, which I'll, I plan to show you why. So the bottom line is that our tendency towards sin attaches itself to us right from the beginning of conception. David himself said it. I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment of my, that my mother conceived me. You see, we don't just do sins. We sin by nature because we are sinners. From the deepest taproots of conception, our natural tendencies are to do those things that God does not want us to do. Our personalities are polluted like a fountain, and they produce a bitter-tasting water. The story of history and the story that's on the news every day testifies to this very thing happening. Now, imputation is not just that we sin, but it really sets us as a target for God's anger. We have a disease, and God's wrath is aimed at it. As Paul said, this is earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what he said. We used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So you see how we came to inherit Adam's sinful nature? God imputed it to us along with that corrupt nature. Now, here's a picture I found by a blogger by the name of Seth Tan. I thought it was really clever. I can imagine him making this for his daughter. This is what that looks like. Adam's sin imputed or passed on to the rest of humanity. So, that's why we need it. That's why we need the breastplate of righteousness. Why do we need it? Because of this very problem. Now the question is, how do we get it? How do we get this breastplate? Now, the bad news, that's the bad news. The bad news of imputation was that we inherited Adam's corrupt nature. And the good news is that there's another imputation, actually a double imputation, that solves our problem. This is called, many theologians call it anyway, the great exchange. It's a two-part imputation. The first part of the imputation is God's graciousness to take away our sins. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and verse 21, this is how it reads. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
For our sake he made him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. And then in Galatians 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So what is happening in this first part of the imputation is that God is removing the uh, uh, accounting of sin to us. But being forgiven, that's what forgiveness is, but being forgiven, it just, wasn't, it just wasn't good enough for God. He wanted more for us because there was no protection left us against any of the accusations of the law just because our sins were taken away. No matter how moral a person may be, it's simply not enough. So God did more for us. The second part of this great exchange is the provision of being credited with the perfect performance of Christ's flawless life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Here's the reason. So that in him, in Christ, we might become his, the right, the, we might become the righteousness of Christ. Now think of the incredibly high demand of living a perfect life. All right, we've got 10 commandments, and a lot of people say they've, they've got those pretty well nailed. And then you ask them if they ever lied, and now they're undone, right? But that's not all. The, whole, the Old Testament is filled with about 600 case laws, and they're just case laws. They're not fully detailed laws. So that means it, the, 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 the demand for protection continues to multiply. Think of, think of, think of it, did you know... Th- when you grumble or when you complain, this is sort of natural, right? You look at something that goes wrong and you go, oh, brother, how could they do that? Did you know that if you were living in the Old Testament, grumbling and complaining is worthy of the penalty of death? How do you do now? When you stop and think about this demand of the law, it's 100% perfection. of the time, with every thought, with every deed, with every motive, with every idea. 100% perfection. No one can do that who is born from Adam. Nobody. And we know it's impossible. But there was one. There was one who performed flawlessly every experience, even even when Jesus was angry at the Pharisees or at the disciples or at something else like the land or the sea. Even when he was that angry, it wasn't sinful. So we need both parts of this great exchange. We need to have our sin forgiven, taken away, and we need to have the imputation of Christ's righteousness to ourself. God removes, think of it as clothes, right? He, he removes the old rags that we used to live in, and he puts on us a new robe that is the righteousness of Christ. And from that moment on, from that moment that that happens, God, as our Father, looks at us and he sees nothing of what we were. He sees our sins nailed to the cross. He sees his son's righteousness on us. And you know how much he loves his son. He loves you 
the exact same way, with the same depth of desire. That's how God looks at you from that moment on. If you remember uh, a, f- a sermon a few uh, weeks back that uh, Jamie preached about the Day of Atonement, you, this is what you see. You see the Day of Atonement is a day of imputation. The priest, the high priest, went through a bunch of rituals, and then he stood there. There were two goats in front of him. And he stood there and he confessed the sins of the people over the one goat, or over the, the goats. And they took the one goat to the altar to be sacrificed. And they took the other goat out to the wilderness, which was symbolically where the curse of God was to be found, and that goat would die. That's imputation. The sins of the people being taken on by a substitute. Christ is our substitute. And that's the way God sees us from now on as the righteousness of Christ. Now, the whole gospel of the imputed righteousness of Christ can be summed up in 2 Corinthians 5, when, it, when we read, For our sake he made him who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's how that, um, that blogger pictured this. Uh, we take the righteousness uh, that, or we take our sin, and it's imputed to Christ there on the cross. Like it says in Colossians, hey, this, that's the ultimate cancel culture. Our sins were canceled at the cross. And then the righteousness of Christ is given to us that's the great exchange that's what saves us now before we get to that so that's the first two questions why do we need it and how do we get it we get it this way the third question is what do we do with it before we go to that question I want to point out something that is happening in the context of the entire letter and the city of Ephesus Paul is one you know we got to wonder why does Paul write this idea at the end of this letter to these particular people in Ephesus. And I think that comes from verse 12 because Paul says it's all about the powers of darkness confronting the church that's in Ephesus. The principalities and the powers, and he tells them they are to stand strong in, in the power of the Lord and his might. And so, and so that's what he wants. Now, what we need to know about Ephesus is very, I think, very interesting. In fact, um, there was a temple to the goddess Artemis in Ephesus, who was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Artemis, as a goddess, uh, was often called Savior and Lord. And Artemis, her, she, she, or her, um, her reach went into every part of an Ephesian person's life. In fact, in the temple was the banking system for the entire region so you could go worship and pay off your car loan at the same time you know is that that's sort of, it just got into every aspect of a person's life and it was in Ephesus that Paul cast out an evil spirit or an evil spirits possessing a young girl who was telling fortunes it was in Ephesus where when people got saved they brought out their occult material and burned it some by some uh, 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 commentators they think it was like fifty thousand dollars worth of paraphernalia for the occult and black arts, uh, uh, magic and that sort of thing. And it was even, it was in Ephesus when, when you know, people started, stopped buying the idols of Artemis that the silversmiths who made those idols were so upset and they caused a riot to try and kick Paul out. So the whole economy was disrupted in Ephesus. Now, here's what you need to know about the worship of Artemis or the spirits, or the use of the occult that was going on in in Ephesus at the time. 
It was all about power. Power. The worshipers worshipped Artemis for uh, specific, powerfully defined goals. They wanted power to avoid sickness. They wanted power for a great harvest. They wanted power for traveling safety. They wanted power to get rich, power to attract a wife. Artemis was known as a, as a goddess who could give life or kill, especially infants, and so they were worshiping her so that she might protect their infant children because she had the power to do it. Now, here's the question. Now, just imagine somebody growing up in that whole culture. Paul comes along and preaches, and they're convinced Jesus is the Lord, and, and they're going to turn their lives over to him. And the question that might be on their minds, especially as young Christians, is Jesus strong enough to overcome the power of Artemis? Is he at least as strong as she, or is he stronger? They wanted to know. And so Paul is actually addressing that very issue. And by that, he's saying, yes, Jesus is more powerful than Artemis, but it's a battle, and you need to stand in the armor that belongs to all Christians. You know, power is a great temptation. We don't like feeling powerless. We don't like feeling dependent. We like to control everything in our lives, or at least as much of it as we can. But when you stop and think about it, those things that shape our lives were out of our control Long before we came, did, did, anybody, did anybody here choose the decade in which you would be, uh, be born? Did, did anybody here choose, did, did you choose the century you would be born in? How about that? Did you choose your parents? They're probably wondering if they should have chosen you, but I'm not going to go there. Did you, did you choose the location of your birth? Did you choose, what, what did you have control over that you could nail it? Not much when you get right down to it. And so because we don't like that feeling, our natural impulse is, is to want to get some power to control what goes on in our lives. So where do we find the power? Where do we find power? Paul says we find power when we stand firm in Christ when the times are evil or when they're good. We get power that isn't negotiated from Christ. We don't have to go to God. You know, when they, when they would go to worship Artemis in the temple, they would basically say something like this. I will give you this if you will give me what I want. God is not that way. God just is here. Here's the, God, here's the righteousness of Christ. It's yours. It's free. No negotiation necessary. Just come to me and receive this gift of righteousness in Christ, and you will be safe. That's what he offers. And they couldn't believe it. Most of us can't believe it. Most of us would think that's too good to be true. It's true. And it's not too good. It's great. So what do we do with it? Now that we, 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 we understand why we need it and we understand how we get it, what do we do with it? What, what does the breastplate of righteousness do for us that makes us strong in the fight for godliness? You know, you can't see your breastplate of righteousness. You can't feel it. Um, it's a gift. It's a gift, just like faith. It's a gift. It's a gift that frees us from the assaults of Satan so that we can pursue godliness in this very messy world and even in the messes that we make for ourselves. Now, how many of you will admit growth in grace and Christ and growing in maturity as a Christian is really slow hard work? 
I mean, are there any of you sitting here who say, you know what, it's always three steps forward for me. How many of you say it's three steps forward and it feels like five back? Yeah, I do too. And I get discouraged. I think, you know, I've been at this for 45 years. Come on, Buchanan, do something right for a change. That's just the way it is. Growth in Christ is slow. And we might even feel it's too slow. And it's precisely at those moments when we're weak, when we're thinking that way, that the devil slithers up right alongside us and says, you know what, you really are a slouch. God just cannot wait to be done with you. You'll never amount to anything. You're never really going to grow in Christ. You're, you're, just, you're just like, forget it. You should just give up. You know another one of the titles for the devil? Separator-in-chief. He wants to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ, and he'll do anything to gain that advantage. Now, he can't make you do something, but he can sure work overtime at persuading you of it. So, if we rely on those kinds of emotions and feelings that tell us that we're not really achieving much or doing much or, you know, we're the worst Christian on the... Listen, you know, when, when, when Paul said that he was, the, he was the worst of sinners... Okay, that slot is already taken. You may be the second worst of sinners, but you're not the worst. Paul's got that one. He's got it nailed. So if we rely on Satan and, and the things that he whispers to us, it's almost like leaving our breastplate of righteousness in the footlocker. But the breastplate of righteousness gives us the permission to tell our feelings where to go. So there's four ways that the breastplate gives us power to stand against the devil. First of all, first of all, no matter what, no matter what, you are acceptable to God because you are in Christ. The opening chapter of Ephesians is probably one of my favorite ones in the entire Bible. You should meditate on it often if this is your problem or you don't feel like you measure up, you don't think you will ever measure up because in that chapter is a list of the riches of God that are in Christ that are yours. Like you are chosen by God from before the foundation of the world. Can you get your mind around that? Secondly, you are predestined to become adopted by the king of the universe who expensed the most precious gift and commodity heaven has, and that is the, uh, the blood of Christ. Third, your sins, past, present, future, all forgiven, all wiped out, never to be seen by God again. And, and he made known to you the mystery of his will. You know, when people ask you, you know, what, what is God doing in the world? What's his will? Believer, you know you know because he has shown you the mystery of his will that he is going to redeem sinners for his son and create this massively glorious church and then one day bring the whole thing together in a new heavens and new earth. You know his will. It was these things that caused Paul to exult in God by saying, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And no matter what you do, he will not reject you. He will love you no matter what. Every time we put our girls 
I'm still telling, using them as examples in sermons, and they're in their 40s for crying out loud. But when they were little, we would put them to to bed, and I would say to them, remember that I love you no matter what. And they did a few what's. Seriously, right? No matter what. No matter what. They were never kicked out of our family. They were never asked to pay for the meal that that was set before them by their mother. They were just ours. They were mine. My, my children. No matter what. You are God's child. Listen. If you are the kind of person who needs to gain acceptance from others in order to validate yourself and say, I have value, I have worth because so-and-so likes me uh, uh, or has whatever it might be. You could lose that in a heartbeat. If you're gaining your acceptance from what other people are telling you, listen, if, if you're the smartest person in the room and you've got a doctorate in neurology, Guess what? Somebody else can come into the room with two doctorates in neurology and an astrophysics uh, d- degree. Where are you now? Right? Your acceptance is from God himself through the Son who will never say to you, I hate you. He will never reject you. Never. You're accepted. You're accepted in the Beloved. God loves the beloved, that's his son, so much he will never reject you. Secondly, no matter what, remember, we are pilgrims deeply dependent on grace. We are pilgrims deeply dependent on grace. Life is the school, the lessons are hard, grace is the teacher. Now, progress is hard. It's filled with with potholes and and diversions and all sorts of difficult things. And that's where Satan wants us to concentrate on our failures. But God, through the righteousness of Christ, wants us to concentrate on the power of his grace that keeps us moving forward. We are pilgrims, dependent on his grace. It is said that a vagabond has no home, a fugitive is running away from home, a stranger is away from home, but a pilgrim is always heading home. Pilgrims keep their eyes on their destiny. They see where they are going, and ours is a glorious city that God is preparing for us. And and just a footnote here, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, read it, because that's what it's all about. Now, third, no matter what, remind yourself that you are forgiven. No matter what, consider the tribe that we belong to. There's a lot of talk about tribes today. So consider the tribe, the Christian tribe. Here's here's the people. Here's our people. This is our people. Jacob, the swindler. Gideon, who was afraid of an enemy. Moses, who got angry. Job and Jeremiah, they cursed the days they were born. David sinned sexually and murdered the, uh, the woman's husband to cover it up. Peter denied Christ. Thomas doubted Christ even after the resurrection, and Saul persecuted the church. That's our tribe. That's us. That's who we are. That's who we belong to. And although the Lord never approved of their behavior, he never rejected them, not one time. In fact, you think about it. He used Peter. He used Peter, the weakest of the lot, apparently, and said, I'm going to make you the head. God's power made strong in weakness. Believer, we are simultaneously justified and sinner. We are, we are redeemed, we are born of God, but sin remains in us. 
And the purpose of our spiritual warfare, the purpose of our warfare is that our lives would glorify the Lord by overcoming the world and killing our own sin. Christ's righteousness is where we find the power to stand strong in spite of our weakness. And fourth, no matter what, our lives make a difference. Our growth is a growth in the stewardship of every good thing that God has given to us. Our lives are to be invested. They're not to be squandered. They're not to be wasted. Each of us, no matter where we are in life, each of us can contribute something to the kingdom of God because he promised that we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created for good works. We can make a difference in the places where we live. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not always in the place we like to be, right? Which is, uh, I wish I had a different job. I wish I had a different this or a different that. You know, what, whatever it might be. We're always thinking, you know, it's like maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. God has us right in that place where he wants us. Right there, right. In, in, in all of the struggle that it is and all of the, everything you don't like about it, God has you right there in that spot at that time. And they're not wasted places. You know, if you talk to people like uh, I have, you know there's a lot of pressure these days because of the virus and everything that's going on. People are overworked, getting stressed out. And the power of the breastplate doesn't just make us nice people. It makes us different people. God has us in that place that we are not content to be in in order to make Christ attractive to everybody else in there. So do your coworkers ever see anything in you uh, that is like the fruit of the Spirit? They may not know it that way. They would never maybe even think of that way. But they see something in you like, man, when that person in the place we work is just ratting and everybody and just going to town and just really being awful, you just stand there as calm as can be. And it looks like you actually love that guy. How does that happen? You know how that happens? the breastplate of righteousness, making you strong to be like Christ and producing you the fruit of the spirit of righteousness. That's how that happens. So when you're standing in the checkout line and it's going really slow, are you huffing and puffing like everybody else? Or... Start telling some jokes. Hey, I'm going to be here for, all, for at least an hour. Let me tell you some stories. <laughs> if you're that kind of person, you go right ahead. <laughs> I'm not that person. But what you're doing in that moment of not huffing and puffing like everybody else and complaining that everything is terrible and lousy and you're in a hurry and you're in a rush, what you are doing is you're giving a glimpse into what the kingdom of God is really like because it's filled with grace. It's, uh, it's filled with patience. And this is not patience you can muster. This is supernaturally given patience. The breastplate of righteousness goes with us into our marriages, into our parenting, into our schools, with our friends, especially when we're talking about politics and COVID. Oh, the rumbling was good. That's what we need. There's only two kinds of breastplates in the world. One is Adam's, one is Christ's. If this matter of where we are in these, these three pictures, we'll put them all up, three of them again. The three pictures, the three imputations that the Bible addresses 
if this matter isn't the, very, the most important issue facing every person who's born, then there isn't one. If Jesus is not a savior to be treasured, then there isn't one. So the breastplate comes to us just like everything else with God. It's a gift. It's free for the asking. Uh, in fact, Paul said it. He said it about Abraham's faith. Um, Abraham credited, there's the word for imputation, credited uh, to Abraham righteousness because he believed God. And then Paul said this, but the words, it was counted to him or it was imputed to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for our sake. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Righteousness will be counted to every single person who believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that his death and resurrection had you in mind, you will be saved. But here's what that means. In the great exchange that we've been talking about, we are not given a good idea. We're not given a ticket to heaven. We're not given a theology. We are given a person. We're given a person. The person of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. We're given Him. To be saved means that, that our great treasure is not just about going to heaven, but having Christ. So remember, there's really only two kinds of people in the world. Only two. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Which breastplate do you want to wear? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the righteousness of Christ. And we pray that you will protect us against the spiritual and physical enemies of our souls. We pray for strength to resist the devil's attacks. Help each one of us to put on the full armor of God and especially the breastplate of righteousness to protect us when we sleep, to protect us when we're awake. Remove all of the traps that are set for us that we can't even see by our adversary and protect our eyes from the snares of the evil one. Order our steps that we might walk in the company of your people and not the company of the wicked. Protect our families. Protect us from all evil. Block any bad intentions from coming into our lives to try to separate us from your love. Protect us from all evil, including that which we bring on ourselves. And Father, we want to pray for those 50 people that you have chosen in this city to come to faith in Christ in this year. We pray that you will protect them and open their eyes that they might see the glory of Christ in the face of God. And they will give themselves over to you. We thank you for this gift of righteousness in Christ. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.